If you will take your Bibles at this time and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it is a true joy to look out and see so many here today. And we know that we have many family members and friends who have come to support uh, our families uh, who have dedicated their children before the Lord. Thank you for being here. What a joy uh, that you would come alongside them and show your support, but also be committed uh, to encouraging them in Christ. If it's your first time today, thank you for, for being our guest. We hope that you enjoy this time with us today. And if you need a Bible, you can look in front of you or down from you. And we have our few Bibles. You can turn to page 961. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. This is the Word of God. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. It seems advisable that I should go also. They will accompany me. Let us pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love and your grace. It's by your love that we love you. It is by your grace that we know Christ. And in this wonderful position of righteousness, a security in our salvation, we say thank you for all the riches that we have in Jesus. The abundance is plentiful. It is unending, all that we have in Christ with hearts that are full with gladness and appreciation for everything that we have received in grace, may we now receive your word and this instruction that we are to be faithful in that which we give. We should be faithful givers, that we should be kind and considerate, that we should be quick to give, that we should set aside of our goods, of our money, of the provision that you have given us. Everything that we own is yours, God. May we remember this, and may we be faithful in all things. Christ and Christ alone, amen. You may be seated, thank you. Today we are talking about money, and the church said amen. <laughs> we just go ahead and put it out there because that's how Paul addresses it. He says, hey, uh, now concerning the collection, he gets right to it. But before we talk about the collection, before we get to giving, which is vitally important for the church to participate in, we must remember that we took several weeks to study 1 Corinthians 15, dealing with the resurrection. So we had a wonderful opportunity to be reminded of our future, that which is to come. These broken bodies will one day be fully restored and we will reign with Christ forever. And as we have this picture of our forever, it's, it's like you're going on a really good vacation and you enjoy every minute of it. And then on the way home, you look over to your spouse or you look over to your children and you just go, you know what, man, we, we needed that. That was good. That was restful. It was fun. We made good memories. And now I'm, I'm ready to get back to work. I'm, I'm ready to go back to the task at hand. 
Well, possibly the idea here, as we see the order of 1 Corinthians, is that as we go through chapter 15, we go, wow, I needed that, right? I don't know about you, but I needed 1 Corinthians 15, needed every day, but it's been good to just take a season to think about the resurrection, to focus on our future, our forever with Christ that is to come. And then we step back and go, okay, with this wonderful future that we have, what should we do now? And that's as we roll into chapter 16. And we are to be faithful to give. Be faithful to give. If you're taking notes, that's the title today. Be faithful to give. If we're being faithful to give, number one, we must give by command. In fact, we are commanded to give as the church Back to verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also, or so you also are to do. He begins by saying, now concerning. Why does he say now concerning? What's very similar to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he said, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now he says, now concerning collection. He's, He's saying now concerning because there was a letter that the Corinthians had written to Paul, Paul received that letter, he combed through that letter, and now he is writing his response. And so they had asked about the collection as they had asked about the spiritual gifts. Maybe there's some complications, and maybe they were wondering the the process or how long they are to give. So Paul writes back to them, and he says, now concerning the collection, the collection for the saints, which leads us to a question right out the gate, why is a collection needed? Why must they give to the saints? Why is it upon the church to collect goods, to collect money, to compile that together in the first place? Why doesn't each and every individual just handle their own business, and when they see a need that needs to be met, why don't they just address it? And that's a very good question, and if you'll just hang on to that question as we go through, well, we will answer it in full. But why the collection together as the church? Paul Barnett points out what could be taking place in Jerusalem during this time. He says the historical origin of this collecting was probably the gift of money sent by Christians in Antioch to the church in Jerusalem at the time of the severe drought, which began in A.D. 46, that affected the eastern Mediterranean. The famine and its effects lasted for many years, and brought great hardship to Judea Judea and its capital, Jerusalem. It was Queen Helena in Mesopotamia, a convert of Judaism, who sent substantial relief to Jerusalem at this time. Paul's collection from the Gentile churches for the saints in Jerusalem must be understood as an expression of practical compassion in the face of great distress. So one reason why the church is collecting funds together to send to the church in Jerusalem because they could be under great famine and distress. There was a real poverty problem in Jerusalem to begin with. So if we're thinking about Jerusalem in the first century, it's not filled with a bunch of rich people who had a lot of resources. A lot of that had been cut off from surrounding areas. And persecution was rather intense upon the church after Christ's resurrection and ascension. 
Leon Morris points out that Jerusalem as a whole was not rich. It was largely dependent on the generosity of Jews from outside Palestine. Christians would be excluded from such bounty. Indeed, they were the objects of special hostility and persecution and might well be in dire straits. So maybe this gives us a fuller picture of why the church at Corinth is collecting funds to send to Jerusalem because there was famine, distress, persecution. The church was in need. And this collection for the saints would provide for those in great need. Notice that the church in Corinth is to care for the universal church. And we can apply that to ourselves here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church as well. As God has so gifted you with a job or an opportunity to serve and to be paid to receive wages, we trust that he would impress upon our hearts that we would give as he would so lead, as we reflect upon his grace for us, all that has been accomplished through Christ Jesus. And then at the appointed time, we bring this money, these offerings together as a gift. And then it is distributed not only amongst ourselves as we do ministry here, but it impacts the community, it impacts the state, it impacts the nation and the world all of those who are supported. So it's important for all of us as local churches to realize that as we have a collection, it's not just for us here, but it can go all throughout the world for those in need. He says, as directed, as, as a command, as I've commanded you. He's commanded the churches of Galatia, and he's commanded Corinth that they should be faithful in their giving. And if we were to get a future glimpse of what would happen in Corinth, we just turn to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 to receive a fuller context of the next steps down the road for Corinth. And here's what we see in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Paul would later say, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So later, Paul would write again to the church at Corinth, and he would say, hey, I'm going to use the little church of Macedonia as an example for you. They're in great poverty. They're the family. They're the individuals who do not have anything. But yet they'll take what little they have, and they will give unto the Lord. And they will even give more than that. So it is impressed upon their hearts that they're giving. They're receiving of funds and of wages, it's not about how luxurious they can live here on this earth, how rich they can become, how much all of this life can be about them, but it's about how can God be glorified with the increase that he has brought us. Although a small increase, the little church of Macedonia, we just want to be a part. They had joy and giving away. Do you have joy in giving away? 
the things that God has given you. Giving away to others so that they can be helped in a time of famine or trial or distress or be it persecution. And so Corinth would be faithful in this. In fact, they would lead a charge, but then they would fall back from their giving. But why should they be faithful in their giving? Number one, they give by command. It is an expectation upon the church at Corinth. And here in the 21st century, it is an expectation upon every Christian that he or she should give of what they have. Number two, if we are to receive this command, we are to give with gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. We give with gratitude because of the grace of God. Everything has been given to us. Consider your future. Just read back 1 Corinthians 15. You know what is to come. You're not in doubt of where you will be for eternity, Christian. It has already been stated before you every day of your life. You could go back and meditate on 1 Corinthians 15 and be filled with greater and greater joy at what is to come. And if this is indeed true in which it is, it should propel us to be generous people, faithful people who give with gratitude. Verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Did you catch that? On the first day of every week. Here we are on the first day of the week. Why do we gather on a Sunday? Well, we do not gather on a Sunday because it is the Sabbath. We as Christians do not worship a Sabbath. We don't worship on a Sabbath day. We worship Jesus Christ who indeed is our Sabbath. Amen. You may say I'm confused about that. But as we have read throughout Scripture, as we have seen, as we see in the book of Hebrews, Christ fulfills the Sabbath. He is our rest. And as we worship Christ, we join together on the first day of the week because it was on the first day in which Christ rose from the grave. And so it's not only Easter that we gather together and celebrate Resurrection Day, but every Sunday we come together and, res and celebrate Resurrection Day, the beginning of the week. What a great start to the week. You are having such a great start to your week by celebrating the resurrection of Christ. John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And so on the first day of the week, as the church is to gather, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, which means that every member of the church should be involved in giving. Now, here's a very common response. I get why we receive this response, and it is indeed true to some extent. We can say, well, there are many different ways in which we can give besides money, but this is dealing with money. And so it is yes to both. Yes, you, you give of your time, you give of your effort, you give of, of, of your love and your kindness and your giftedness. You give in all those ways. But indeed, too, we are to give from our, what we used to call pocketbooks or, or wallets, we still call it that, or checkbooks. You give. What the Lord has so graciously given to you, you give back to help those who are around you. But then also to know that the church doesn't receive anything from the government. And to that, I think we can all collectively say amen. Although the government is issued by God, God determines the, the government leaders who are in this land. So that didn't go without God's watch or understanding. But yet we operate separately from them, which means we're not 
guided by the government in what we preach, what we teach, how we disciple. So because that's the case, then you go, okay, how is the local church funded? The church funds the local church. (laughs) The people draw together, and they give joyfully. And how is this to be done? He says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So with this, the idea is that every week, at the beginning of the week, members of the church would draw together in Corinth, and they would give to a, a treasury. And someone would hold on to that money, and at the right time, when Paul would come, then he would collect those funds for this specific need, giving to the church in Jerusalem. And with the heart, it should be done with love. If we look at 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You understand that? We, we love. We love God. We love others in the name of Christ because God first loved us. Well, within the context, we give because he first gave to us. That is why we give. You say, why should I give? Why should I give financially? You don't understand my financial situation. And I don't have to. And I don't say that with a cold heart. I say it with love. I truly don't have to know your financial situation. And you don't have to know my financial situation. It's that because he has loved us and we love him because he has given us everything, we are to give in return. He says it's to put something aside and and store it up. So here is the, the collection, the gathering of the saints, and this is what he says following, as he may prosper. So the contribution should be in proportion to their means, which is vitally important that we don't go talking about what we give financially. Not only is that severely tacky, and nobody wants to know that, but two, that's inconsiderate of others and it's not being faithful unto the Lord because as we give, the right hand should know what the left hand is doing or the left hand knowing what the right hand should do. And as we give, we should be giving from a heart that loves the Lord and not from a heart that wants to be recognized by others. Jesus pointed this out with the Pharisees as they were giving of their abundance. And here comes the woman who gives her two mites. She gave everything that she had. That mite was one-eighth of a penny. She gives two mites. There's no clinkity clank, 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 clank as she's putting it in there and and giving her money. It's just a a small little ding. And yet God says she's given more than all of these others who blasted their trumpets and put everybody on watch and notice of what they were giving. And so it's not that we would be noticed by others, but that what God has given us, we will take a, a, a portion of that and we will give it back to the Lord, which what does this do? It makes us evaluate everything that we have. Everything that you own, is it necessary? It saves us from falling into the pit of materialism, that we must have the latest, greatest things that, that come along. And, and the majority of us, I feel like it's safe to say, we, we fall prey to that. We're always chasing the next thing. And, and we could say this, we could stand up and give testimony and say, no, I don't, I don't fall prey to that. What iPhone do you have? Okay, if it's, if it's 13, 14, or you're, you're signed up for 15, I don't even know if 15's come out yet, what do you have, right? And we, we fall right into it and we go, yeah, I have to have this latest update, I've gotta get it. But we don't even do that with, with technology, we do that with so many other things. Consider now, and, and you'll say, Brian, you, you said this before, I'll, I'll say it again because it, it's, it's tough to deal with, but there are things that my generation has at this age and much younger age that our parents never had. That's hard to reconcile with. And then the generation who's coming after us who thinks that they should have it at the age of 20 or 30. And you're going, you want, you think, 
I think we should have our dream home at the age of 25. This is my forever home. Oh, we can't wait. 30. It's a forever home. It's, it's wonderful. We have an abundance. We live in one of the greatest prosperous times. And yet, because we have all of these things, that doesn't always mean it's good. It doesn't always mean it's bad either because God blesses riches. He is our provider, but with what he gives us, we are to be faithful to give back. And in doing this, not only is it faithful, but it saves us from coveting other things. It saves us from much jealousy. It saves us from rivalries and dissensions based on what we have. And yet it brings us together collectively with great joy that we can give in the name of Christ as he may prosper. And so you say, well, what should we give? What amount should we give? And you say, I know, it's a tithe. Are you sure? Are you sure that you're to give a tithe? Are we even sure that a tithe is for the church and it wasn't just for Israel? Now this may shock you, this may floor you, you may have never heard this before, but I am convinced that the tithe was given to a nation. It was given to the nation of Israel. God was their king, he made that very clear. And he was the one who gave them the laws concerning tithes. You say, well, didn't Abraham tithe? Wasn't there tithe? He gave a one-time tithe. Um, what about uh, Joseph when they went under the watch of the Egyptians? What were they to give? They were to give a fifth. That's 20%. And so is a tithe even 10%? I was taught in the majority of my young life that we were to give a tithe. You were to give 10% of all that you have. By the way, let me just go ahead and interject this before you want to get up and, and, and leave, okay? That's not a bad plan. It, that's That's great. It's a great model that you can use. It's just that that's nowhere taught in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus may mention the word tithe, but he's not teaching the principle of tithing. Why? Let me explain it this way. As Israel was a theocracy and not a democracy, they received the Mosaic Law. And they were told that they were to give 10% of their earnings to the Levites. Who were the Levites? They were the priests. Who ruled over the nation? Who looked after the nation? The priests did. And later there would come kings as well. But you had priests. They were set up from the lineage of Aaron. And so they were to give 10% to the Levites. This was yearly. Okay, so we have 10%. But not only that, and we see this in Leviticus 27, verse 30, in Numbers 18, 21. But we also see that they were to give 10% that would go to the Jewish festivals, the feast. And so that now we're at 20%. This was yearly. This is Deuteronomy chapter 14, which is a wonderful place to have a quiet time, by the way. So you may want to write that down and enjoy that later. So we have 20%. And then every three years, according to Deuteronomy 14, every three years they were to give an additional 10% to the Levites to take care of the aliens, those are foreigners, to the orphans, and to the widows. So if you were to add all that up and you were to Give a summary of it, it's 23% yearly. That was the tithe. Not 10%, 23%. And so if we say a true tithe is 23%, if, if we're even taking a model of what we received in Scripture. And what this was as a tithe, it was a tax. 
This was the tax in which the people gave. As a nation, as God brought them together and they were governed, they were paying their taxes. They were giving to the needs. This is how they would function as a society, as a nation. And I agree with John MacArthur as he lays this out, that the condemnation of Malachi 3, 8 through 10, is for failure to pay the required taxes to support the priest who ran the nation. So you go, hmm, that's interesting. So what are we to do? Well, there's two types of giving that I think we are commanded in the New Testament. One we see in Romans chapter 13, if you'd like to turn there just for a moment, Romans chapter 13, we see that we are to pay taxes as well. Are you paying your taxes? Are you being faithful to that? Are you giving what you're supposed to give? Are you go, oh, that old crooked IRS, they don't deserve a penny. Or they don't deserve everything. Well, remember, we have received God's word. We've received instruction in Romans chapter 13. We must be thankful for the government that we do have. By God's common grace, we have much order and peace. And yet, although we may not always be a big fan of taxes or what we owe or how much we owe, yet it is for a purpose. We read this in Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers who are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue, revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So as people of God, as the people of God, as Christians, we are to pay taxes. But then as we see in passages here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and chapter 9, as we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, there's much generosity among the church, much giving that takes place in order that we may function and care for one another. So we are to give out of grace. We are to give with gratitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So how are we to give? As each one has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
But God loves a cheerful giver, which means as we rejoice more in what Christ has done, as we feast more on the word of God, as we are more faithful in fellowship, our giving indeed will increase. We will be faithful in what we give. In fact, it is our prayer. Lord, stir the hearts of your people. May we give out of your grace and your love. We trust you. I've said this many times before. I'll say it again because it's a great moment to just interject it. I don't know what a single one of you give as an offering. I don't know. All I know is what the Anderson household gives. And if we are faithful and are we given reluctantly, are we given under compulsion, are we given with cheerful hearts? And I love it that way. Because I know my tendencies, as may be your tendencies, when you know certain information, you may be inclined to show favoritism. That's not an easy thing to say, but this is an honest thing to say, and to say, Lord, save me from that. One of the best things is that I don't know. And to you be the glory, God. You stir the hearts of your people. May we give. May you bless what is given. And I believe that's the model that we see here in the New Testament as Paul is writing to Corinth. Now those who are faithful to count every Tuesday. They know what you get. (laughs) But again, all of those who show up and give your time during the week to help count and make sure we're held accountable, you have to come with hearts that are given to the Lord that what you know and, and what you see there that you don't hold against anyone, or indeed, that you don't hold somebody in high esteem because of it either. But that we're faithful to the task which God has given us. Kent Hughes says, there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. It says, our handling of money defines our affections, the things we truly treasure, how tightly we are bound to the world, and so on. Murray Harris, who says that Paul's point is that the recipient of charis, of grace, should lead to the giving of grace received, should prompt grace given. And so, we are to give by command and we are to give with gratitude. And number three, we're to give with discipline. Paul continues on, he says, so that we are, so that there will be no collecting when I come, which means that they are to have all things in order before Paul arrives, which is he's giving this command, and they are to do this with grace, they are to do it with discipline. Every week they are to set something aside. The point here is that there's a a faithfulness in a, in a, a cycle to giving, that it should stay before you and not be forgotten. If we were to just see this practically, how easy it is to get out of rhythm of doing something. And this can also apply to our giving. When we have something that is consistent, when we have an expectation, it holds us to task. There can be a discipline that comes along with it. And then in verse three, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So as gifts were brought to the church and there was the gathering, Paul would not have to um, stir their hearts emotionally for them to give. In fact, 
I don't think it should be the emotional appeal in which we give. Be very careful when your hearts are stirred emotionally to how you should give. What you watch, what you listen to, what ministries you give to. But there should be a steadfast to our giving. There should be a resolve, meaning that we should have a confidence in what we give. There should be strength in our giving. As we give to the overall work the kingdom of God. Paul would not have to give an emotional appeal if the church is faithful to collect each week. Money was brought together as one, meaning one body in Christ, giving to the needs of the church and churches. And so we get back to this and you say, can I just give to those where I see a need and just give directly to them? Absolutely, by all means, yes, to God be the glory, give Help those, help your neighbor, help the stranger, but also be faithful to giving in the local church where there is order and good organization, or there should be, and where we are out of line, we should be called to be in line with great accountability, with great discipline, where we give larger amounts as a collection. And if we consider things that we are able to do, we are able to help, say, local churches like King's Church um, and King's Hill Church, one of them in D.C., one of them in Boston, where we are to give a significant amount to these local churches that are extending the gospel in big cities. And I don't know if it's your desire to go live in a big city, but it's their desire to go live in a big city. And if you've ever been to a big city, it's rather intimidating. But they go with the boldness, they go with the courage. And we've seen King's Church uh, in, in testimony as they went two years uh, coming off of 2020, uh, they were running about 75 to 80 people. Faithful, local church, loving the Lord, preaching the gospel, reaching their city. From day one, they have been this way. And now they're running close to 500 people in two years. And you go, wow, what is it? What are they doing? What programs do they have? Wipe away all the programs, it's the gospel. It's them being faithful to preaching and teaching and loving the people. And yet they have reached out and they have said, hey, we need help. If, if you would like to help, if God so leads you, we could use help because we're a bunch of young people and yeah, we have great numbers, but we have great needs. They're outgrowing every space that they're put in. And God knows this. God is taking care of them. But why am I going on about this? One, to just give you an update that things are going well in D.C. But then also, as we give collectively, we are able to give to them and help. What a blessing. Not exactly what was happening in Jerusalem, but very similar that we give to another local church who's growing up, growing in maturity Man, reaching so many people, so many people coming to know Christ by God's grace, and yet, what a great support that collectively we can have together. Not only that, but collectively, you worship here every Sunday, and for most of us, and many of us, on Wednesdays. We have Bible studies, we have different ministries, things that we are able to take care of and provide for because of the generosity among the church, faithfulness. We could go on and on, but I think we understand that, yes, there is a great need to give to individuals, but yet also a great need that we give collectively together as the church. So with this, it takes great discipline, and it takes great accountability. And this is where Paul says, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Why does Paul say this? Because he wants their hearts to be comforted, that if you're going to give of your resources, you're going to give of your means, 
that you want to know that it's going to be well taken care of. And at this point, just a personal word, I just want to say to thank you to this local church and to all who give. As the Lord so stirs your heart, what a wonderful blessing. And also thank you to those who help collect. Uh, Frank Cook and, and others who go alongside Frank Cook. I know Tim Swilly and many others that are just here that, that faithfully serve. Lily Spittle, uh, Melba Weeks, Miss Jane Yancey, Miss Debbie Crosby. I, I'll, I'll get in trouble if I keep going down the list. So I'm going to stop, right? But just so many of you and many more who help our stewardship team, as you help to make sure that we're wise in our spending, and you look over that every month as we gather together, Pastor Joby, as you oversee that and make sure that we're good stewards of what's brought in, that we never fall to that trap to say this is our money to spend however we want to, but this is God who has brought the increase. All this joins together for great accountability, and, and for that, I just say thank you. Local church, thank you for trusting and thank you for, for caring that you show up to family business meetings when we talk about our budget and when we plan for the next year. That matters. When we're looking and saying, hey, this, this is the amount that we're going to set aside as, as God would use us to reach this town and beyond. All of this we receive because of what we see in 1 Corinthians 16. In passages like this where, one, they're commanded Two, they're to give with gratitude, and they're to give with discipline. But the greatest thanks is to God and His grace, to Christ Jesus and what He has done for us, church. The Christ, He came and lived among us, and He got it right. He never sinned against His Father, which means He never had a debt that He had to pay off Himself, which means that He was the only one who could go to the cross to pay for our debts. Our wages, we know this, we have earned them. We see this in Romans. Our wages is death. This is what you and I have freely earned out of our own will, out of our own volition. It's what we desired. It's what we ran after. We've earned every penny of death. And yet it was Christ who went to the cross and paid for our debts. You can never be more rich. You can never be more satisfied. You can never have more delight, confidence, trust, and strength than when you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is what he has done for us. And so as we get to the end of this message, we, we, we end with Christ. The question I ask is to you who's here today who doesn't know Christ, what is it in your life that you see that keeps you from following Christ? Would you trust in Jesus as, as the great provider, as the one who paid for your debt? That you would no longer have a debt before the Lord, that you would be free in Christ Jesus to worship God, to love him forever. That you would be his servant, a glad, willing servant to trust in King Jesus. Is that where you are today? Are you ready to follow Christ? If so, would you call upon Christ? Confess your sin to the Lord and trust what Christ did for you at the cross. If you have questions and you say, I'm not so sure, I might even say I'm intrigued, or I don't even know if I'm intrigued, I don't even know why I'm here, I'm just here today. I, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to walk alongside you to talk about this debt that must be paid and how the greatest riches are in Christ Jesus, The true life is found in Christ. 
in Christ alone. Maybe you want to check on a connection card right there. Hey, I want to know more about following Christ. You can do that, or at the end of the service, I'm going to be standing right over here. Would love to talk with you. I just wanted to make sure we took a moment to address those in the room who, who do not know Christ, but you're here today. We're glad you're here. We want to meet with you. Finally, to you, church, thank you for allowing uh, Christ to work in you daily. You say allowing, yes, indeed, as a follower of Christ Jesus, as you have received the grace of God, yet faithfully you are allowing him to work in you daily through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Love you dearly. It is a joy to be here. May we be faithful to give as the Lord impresses upon our hearts, and may we continue in faithful ministry. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for this testimony that we see in Scripture of how you stirred the hearts of the people in Corinth. Lord, may we receive the command to be faithful in our giving. May we give with hearts of gratitude, and may we be disciplined in our giving. And Father, may we just trust you from week to week how you provide for this local church, but not only for us, but how we would give to others, how we would help other local churches in this town, how we would help churches that are in other towns and throughout the world, how we would help missionaries. And Father, may we continue to cherish our salvation in Christ as we study your word, continue to keep our hearts soft for you, our hearts for you and not against you, that our actions will be for you and not against you. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessings upon this church family that we will be a blessing unto you as we strive in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.